So welcome to what I call Mothering Sunday, the day when we pause to remember and celebrate the people who mothered us into the person we are today. Our biological mothers, stepmothers, adoptive mothers, mother-in-laws, grandmothers, and last but not least, church mothers and grandmothers. I've had a number of those over the years as a minister, older church women who ministered to me who surprisingly were more daring and more progressive than many of the younger members. Well, the same thing was true for Moses. He is widely considered to be the superhero of the Judeo-Christian faith, that great one who led the Israelites out of Egypt and hand-delivered the Ten Commandments. That's our comprehensive image of Moses, the Charlton Heston of the Bible. However, the truth is the Exodus would not have happened, or the whole Judeo-Christian faith for that matter, if it had not been for the people who mothered him into this world. It is one of those Bible stories that has been largely ignored because the main characters are all women. Wise and wonderful and a little conniving women. Let's take a closer look. After years of slavery in Egypt, the Hebrews have grown in numbers and might. They are starting to organize and speak out against unfair labor. Fearing an uprising, the king issues an order to the two Hebrew midwives. When they see a baby boy emerging from the womb, do whatever it takes so it does not survive. Now that's like telling two doctors to defy the Hippocratic Oath which is why those two women did just the opposite. They lied to the king, saying the babies were born before they got there. So Moses was born because of two strong, faithful women who listened to their hearts and their calling and conspired against the king. When the midwife plan did not work, the king launched Plan B, This time he created a chilling new law that every Egyptian was mandated to enforce. Going forward, every boy that was born to the Hebrews shall be thrown into the Nile River. That was devastating news for a mother named Jochebed, who had just given birth to Moses. So for the next few weeks, she hides him every single day in a different place. Imagine doing that. Imagine trying to hide a crying baby. Even worse, all day long, she had to work as a slave in a brickyard. So she had no choice but to leave Moses with his teenage sister, Miriam, to babysit to mother her little brother. Keep him quiet, keep him hidden. His life depends on it, she said to the teenager. Well, that worked pretty well until the baby got a little older and a little louder. So after a couple of close calls, Moses' mother decides to do one of the most loving, courageous, and faithful things a mother has ever done. She makes him this little boat. She weaves a papyrus basket and waterproofs it with bitumen and pitch. She prepares a little ark for her child. Imagine the care that she put into it, layer upon layer, pitched carefully balanced. And I'll bet she even put a rock in it of similar weight to her baby to make sure that it would float and not tip over. And then one morning she does the unthinkable, knowing that she can no longer care for him safely, knowing that the Egyptian princess bathed downstream, she puts the child in the basket and places him in the reeds 
and tearfully lets go. I love what happens next. Sister Miriam has been watching her mother from afar. When she sees the king's daughter draw her baby brother out of the water, she rushes down to the riverbank and she says, I just happened to, to know a lactating Hebrew woman who could nurse this child, wink, wink. And the princess, to her everlasting credit, replies, you do, how serendipitous, wink, wink. Yes, please go and get her. And the best part, the princess insists on paying Moses' mother to nurse him. It was a brilliant move. By doing this, she made baby Moses a ward of the state, thereby guaranteeing his safety, wink, wink. I love this story. I love it because it's beautiful and it's bold. Stop and think about it. Moses would have never survived if it wasn't for the faith and courage of not one, but five women. Five women who, conspiring together, mothered him into this world. So what's the takeaway for all of us? What does this story have to do with our lives in the year 2022 after two years of COVID-19 and all its variants and now the Ukraine war with all the political and economic fallout? Well, I believe it's a reminder that we are all in this together. That in times like these, human health and safety is much more difficult with just a nuclear family alone. Rather, it does indeed take a village. David Brooks wrote a fascinating column about it in the Atlantic Monthly. He pointed out that the nuclear family is a relatively new idea that peaked from 1950 to 1965 during the Leave it to Beaver years. Prior to this, it was largely the extended family that people depended on for survival. For tens of thousands of years, people commonly lived in small bands. They went out foraging for food, and they brought it back to share. They hunted together, they fought wars together, they made clothing for one another, and they looked after one another's children. In virtually every realm of life, including health and safety, they relied on their extended family, their wider kin for survival. However, and this is a big however, back then they did not define kin the way that we do today. We think of kin as those biologically related to us. But in fact, throughout most of human history, kinship was something you could actually create. Unfortunately, over the past century, the definition of kin has been reduced to the nuclear family. And as a result, we have made life freer for individuals and much more unstable for families. We have made life better for adults, but way worse for children. We have moved from big interconnected families which help protect the most vulnerable in our society to smaller detached nuclear families. And that shift has been much harder on the working class poor than on the rich. Can you guess why? Because the rich have the means to pay for an extended family. So what is it about extended families that makes them work? Well, according to Brooks, there are two great strengths. The first is resilience. 
Your spouse and your children come first, but there's also cousins and in-laws and grandparents and neighbors, a complex web of relationships. So as a result, extended families have more people to share the shocks of life, such as the loss of a job or divorce or a sudden death. And I would add a tragic, unprovoked war. Stop and think about it. For weeks now, Putin has been literally blowing apart residential neighborhoods in Ukraine. And the result is that thousands of extended families have been forced to break up their kinships by living in separate countries and towns. Ah, but not all of them. As it turns out, there is a fair number of grandmothers who have chosen to stay in Ukraine and hunker down no matter what. Two of them have made international news. One walked right up to a Russian soldier, put her hands on her hips and asked, what do you think you're doing here? The soldier answered, do not escalate the situation. To which the grandmother replied, how can we escalate it any more than you already have? And then she did this. She reached in her pocket and she handed the Russian soldier a pack of sunflower seeds and said, put these seeds in your pocket so when you lose this war, you'll have flowers on your grave. That's resilience. Another 79-year-old grandmother was filmed lying on her tummy in the grass and tucked underneath her right arm was an AK-47. Standing next to her was a Ukrainian soldier teaching her how to use it. And a reporter looked down and asked what kind of grandmother shoots an AK-47. And she replied, I am ready to shoot if something happens. I will defend my home, my city, my children, and my people, and your mother would too. And this, this was just in last week's news. Many younger mothers are starting to now return to Ukraine. They are coming home for the sole purpose of being with their extended families. In the words of one of them, I would rather return and risk living in a conflict zone than be a refugee in another country without any family or support network. Think about that, risking life because they need their family and their support network. So Brooks got it right. The first reason extended families work is resilience. Many people to share the shocks of life with. And this is why the resilient Ukrainians, to quote the old psalm, shall not be moved. And this, the second great strength of extended families, is a socializing force. Multiple adults teach children right from wrong, how to behave toward others, how to have faith in a greater good and a greater God. That sounds a whole lot like a faith community to me. A forged community who believes that we are all in this together, that we are all God's children. A forged kinship who supports and protects each other, that teaches their young how to be kind and faithful. A forged kinship which Allah Ukraine has very important places for grandparents. Enter our first reading for this morning. It is a biblical rarity. 
To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace. I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere face, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, and then your mother Eunice, and now lives in you. Timothy grew up in an extended family household, a kinship that included two very strong women, his mother and his grandmother. Lois and Eunice are examples of the powerful influence an extended family can have on a young person's life. And I hear it all the time when people join a church. They say to me, my grandma or my grandpa or my great aunt took me to church every Sunday and they told me that they prayed for me every day as well and it made a huge difference. This passage is a rarity because Paul recognized the life-changing contributions of this mother and grandmother in a day when women were rarely mentioned by name. In fact, she is the first grandmother mentioned in the Gospels and the only one, Lois. Paul honored them for their faith, which led to Timothy joining Paul in his travels and eventually becoming the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And so it was for Moses. He became a great leader because he grew up in a large extended family, a kinship which included five amazing women who conspired to mother him forward. And this, finally. After he grew up a prince, after he enjoyed the good life, Moses could have easily kept living the palace life. However, thanks to these five women, kindness and justice was instilled in his heart, which is why, as a young man, Moses gave it all up to set his people free. So going forward, may the brave women of the Bible inspire us to widen our own circle of kinship, providing a conspiracy of kindness to our community, our country, and our world.